Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Kelsey Zeiser, my Light Reading colleague, and we will be interviewing uh, Mari Silby, the Senior Director of Partnerships and Outreach for US Ignite. And US Ignite is a, a nonprofit that is dedicated to accelerating uh, smart cities here in the US and uh, uh, connecting uh, government agencies and government resources with. Uh, uh, municipalities, the private sector, universities, and just bringing it all together and hopefully getting us a little bit closer to a really cool connected future. Um, on this uh, podcast, we'll be talking about an evolution that's happening in how rural communities are able to supply broadband. Um, in the past, there's been sort of the traditional approach of, uh, well, the private sector takes care of it, so the telcos will come in and build you know, uh, broadband networks and profit from them, uh, or the municipalities, the cities themselves will own the broadband and they'll supply it. Sometimes that doesn't work out for either party to own 100% of that uh, problem and or opportunity. So Mari's going to talk about uh, a few different approaches, and she actually has some examples based on some new research that US Ignite uh, has helped provide. Uh, you'll find out uh, uh, what those uh, uh, new possibilities are right after this break. This podcast is sponsored by ServiceNow. Behind every great experience is a great workflow. ServiceNow delivers digital workflows that create great experiences and unlock productivity for communication service providers and their customers. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. This is Phil Harvey, and I am joined by my Light Reading colleague, Kelsey Zeiser. Hello, Kelsey. Hey, you, Phil. <laughs> How's it going? Good. I'm fully caffeinated. Ready awesome. to go. That's good. That's the best way to podcast is highly caffeinated. Yes. On the, on the edge of jittery. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Well, don't, don't, uh, don't grab your laptop and shake it or anything. Okay. Um, because uh, you might disconnect, and and uh, I don't know if I'm smart enough to interview our guest all by myself, <laughs> but we do have a guest today who is no stranger to the podcast, and she has her own podcast too. Kelsey, we have a competitor. Can you believe it? Oh, wait, <laughs> hang up on her real quick. That's right. <laughs> From US Ignite, hello, Mari Silby. Why, hello, everyone. It's good to be back. Great to have you back. And uh, please, let's go ahead and get a, a, a podcast plug out of the way, because I'll forget to do it later. Uh, oh. Where can we where can we find your podcast and what are we what what do you think we might be hearing when we turn it on? Sure, yeah. So we did a number of interviews with community uh -huh. leaders focused on their small cell deployments and small cell strategies, and there's four of them that are now posted online at us-ignite.org. And if you go to that site, it should be one of the links on the front page. There's like an orange bar with highlights and features, and you should be able to get straight to it from there with a, a link to all of them you can listen to on the site or on Spotify. All righty. Um, so, uh, so you're, you're, you know, being at US Ignite, obviously the focus there is, uh, or there's a, you know, a, a move toward helping smart cities take off and they can't do that without connectivity. Yeah, Mari, so I don't know if you're aware, but we're living in a pandemic right now. <laughs> um, it, it had nearly passed me by. But okay. Just so wanted to make sure so. since you're in the, you know, small town of DC. Right. Um, right. <laughs> So has the industry's view of broadband changed at all during this pandemic? Well, it's really kind of an interesting time because from the 
city or local government perspective, they're facing a massive drop in tax revenue that is forcing them to slash budgets. And that's a negative on the connectivity front. But on the other hand, because uh, the dramatic uh, illustration that this pandemic is giving us of how important broadband connectivity is, that's also helping both communities and industry recognize how much of a priority it needs to be and therefore start to marshal resources in that direction. So just as an example, we we put a paper out recently on what we think communities will prioritize in the near term. Mm-hmm. And closing those broadband broadband gaps where they still exist is definitely on that list because it it just it takes a number of boxes. It it improves equity, it gives long-term value, it supports other priorities in areas like education and healthcare and economic development. So that is that is one piece that I think uh, may be good coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, I think all of those areas are definitely very critical right now. Um, as you mentioned, healthcare and education, um, especially coming into the fall, I think a lot of universities are wondering how to bring back their students or combine virtual and also in-person um, courses. So that's, I, I'm sure that's front of mind for a lot of communities. Yeah, I I think it's also worth noting that there's likely to be a lot of federal money flowing soon for broadband mm-hmm. projects. And if we want to look at it optimistically, we could be looking at the situation as being similar to back in 2009 when the BTOP program went in place. Mm-hmm. And that created some unprecedented broadband build out opportunities. So perhaps we are on the cusp of a, of a similar situation here. Yeah, and they do tend to follow, uh, sadly, they tend to follow recessions mm-hmm. when the government really makes a, a, a big effort around um, uh, not just improving infrastructure, but making sure the infrastructure matches the community needs. And I think that's what's interesting now is that, back, you know, unlike back in 2008, 2009, the day-to-day need for broadband is so much more in terms of the... Um, you know, the pure bandwidth and the type of connectivity has changed too, because what we do online has completely changed. Um, and it's also, it seems like that sort of thing is, um, is hard to come by in some rural communities simply because the traditional telcos and cable companies haven't been able to do, you know, um, figure out how to profitably deliver it and build out that infrastructure. So there is a need for other methods of funding and other business models. Agreed. So we actually looked at some models for broadband deployment recently, specifically with the goal of helping communities evaluate what their options are. And what we concluded is very similar to what you just suggested, which is that there are hybrid public-private models that may offer some of the best opportunities for connecting regions that are still unserved or underserved. Because as you're right, uh, as you said, you're right that it's difficult to make the economic case for a lot of broadband providers to go into these sparser, less populated communities. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean the need is any less there. And there still needs to be a, a solution and a way to get those areas connected. So we, as I mentioned, um, we did a study on this recently, and we actually have a, a partner, a strategy consulting group called Altman Valandry and Company, which put together a database of over a thousand municipally enabled broadband programs using a combination of public data and in-depth interviews of uh, city officials around the country. And mm. 
the focus was really on let's look at this not as an either or situation again let's look at this not as just what if what if the private sector comes in and sub subsidizes all of this versus what if the municipality takes on all of the risk and financial burden to fully own and operate a network which are typically the options we look at across most of the country today but this report really examined what are the opportunities ahead for combining those into hybrid models of public and private ownership and operation. What would be the um, advantage in public-private ownership versus a completely municipal approach where it's just the, you know, the city and it's funded by taxpayers and you don't have to worry about, you know, some company uh, making its quarterly number for you for you to have broadband, uh, you know, upgrades and things like that. Right. Now, that's a really good question. It's really about distributing risk, and also different communities are very different, both in terms of the assets that they have available, and also just the the engagement and the the leadership that they have within the community. So the the local support, both at the leadership level and I guess also at the at the community level as well. So by Again, distributing the risk and distributing where the the burden goes across both public and private entities, that can be a solution where either there's not a lot of capital um, or there's not a good way for a, a private company to come in and make a business model case on their own. Did uh, your study also identify specific areas in the U.S. where um, you know the, they would definitely need to build out broadband more? Um, you know, is like the the Midwest more effective, for example? Well, there's certainly, you know, there's certainly stats and, and maps in this study. And by the way, we'll, we'll have that report available in the next few days or possibly early next week. Um, and I, what's interesting is it's actually, there are problems throughout the country. So I, I wouldn't really highlight a particular region, although certainly you understand that in rural areas, the, the case is more difficult to make. Um, but what I'd really focus on is what those um, what those public-private partnerships can look like. Mm -hmm. And the way the report breaks it down is three specific models separate from fully public or fully private. And one is where everything is publicly owned but privately serviced. And a good example of that, if anybody knows, in Westminster, Maryland, they contracted with Ting to come and deploy broadband and, and operate the network, but at the same time, the city actually maintains all ownership of those assets. Mm -hmm. So that's a really interesting case study. And then uh, two other ones, one where there's hybrid ownership of the assets. So in Lincoln, Nebraska, as an example, they can't own the fiber networks for delivery of consumer broadband service, but they can own the conduit. So they invested in laying out lots and lots of conduit throughout the area and then have had private ISPs come in and actually deploy the fiber. And it's less expensive for them, but at the same time, they still have the ability to generate that revenue through those broadband network services. Mm -hmm. And then the last, real quick, and then I'll let you jump in. Okay. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. Last, the last model that I think is really interesting because it's it's not very common here in the US, but it is more common in Europe, is one where a city contracts with a, a third party, a private sector company of some sort that is not an ISP, 
but that essentially acts as the advocate, as a private developer of the network, and then it opens it up for open access to the actual broadband service providers. So there is recently the city of Fullerton, California, actually lit up, I think it was last week, their, uh, a company called Sci-Fi Networks lit up fiber in a particular region. And now there are at least two service providers who consumers can go to and say, hey, I want to I buy your broadband service that you're using this open access network for. Mm-hmm. So that's been, again, not very common here, but we think it's, it's a very interesting model for communities that are looking ahead at what, you know, if they haven't been successful yet in getting everybody served, this is a, this is a very viable option. Are there any downsides to any of those models or um, do you feel like one is is more popular than the others? You know, again, none of them are really what I would say is called popular at this point, (laughs) but they are they are options for the places where nothing has worked so far or Mm -hmm. nobody has been able to to push the needle far enough in terms of connectivity in terms of what's best for one community community or another, the way the way this report lays it out is it, is it has a matrix of different factors that communities should consider. And again, it's things like how much capital is available, what mm-hmm. existing infrastructure is there, how how feasible is it to bring in private partners? Because for some communities, it's not feasible, but for others, it is. And if you look across this whole matrix of factors, that will help communities decide what's the, the best model to get their citizens connected. Love a good matrix. Yeah. <laughs> Not just the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Can we get Keanu Reeves involved in this somehow? Uh, you know, I've, I've asked him to come, yeah, play play a cameo in our upcoming film, but no no response oh, yet. Oh, boy. Yeah. If you go from podcast straight to uh, major market <laughs> films, I'm, I'm going to wonder, I'm going to have more questions about U.S. Ignite funding than I already do. Um how about the the in the example where you're talking about the city owning the conduit but not supplying the fiber? Yeah. Is is that a scenario where the city, you know, treats that as like a real estate asset and leases it or is that something where they get paid incrementally like every time, you know, like every time a service is sold, they get a little bit of money because it's the cost of delivering the service. I'm I'm curious as to how they how they structure stuff like that. I'm not even sure if that's something you would know. But, I, I you know. don't remember off the top, although I'm I'm sure the nice thing about the report is it does give some very specific case studies, including that one. Okay. Um, but I, I believe it is they're they're essentially leasing the leasing it as real estate, but I wouldn't swear to that. So that's worth following up on to to check those details. Well, I guess all these things have in common is that this you know, the city and private industry aren't fully on the hook for, you know, the 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 deployment the infrastructure and all the expense involved is that is that safe to say exactly i i the one of the ways we think about it is calling it municipally enabled because very very much believe that the private sector has a huge role to play and and by the way is responsible for 90 plus percent of all the uh, connectivity in well-served communities today but if you think about it as municipally enabled, it's really the idea of the the city or the the community needs to take an active role in figuring out what's the best way, what's the best strategy for getting their their citizens connected. And 
a lot of times that means they do take an active role, but how much of an active role, again, kind of depends on, on what their individual situation is. Is there a case to be made for municipally enabled broadband, even in cities that have um, lots of, you know, private industry already active and so, you know, and, and, and already competitive? It's possible. Of course, in those places, I think you're going to run into more issues of uh, regulatory oversight and pushback mm -hmm. from the from the private sector. But what I think this is interesting for as well are the implications even beyond just broadband connectivity. So the focus of this report is really on fixed broadband. But as we look ahead at different kinds of wireless networks that are coming, but also any kind of smart city infrastructure, whether it's connected transportation or smart streetlights or smart energy grids, anything, I think this is an interesting strategy to consider because getting both the public and private sides of the equation to invest in and work together to develop the best outcomes is probably going to make the most sense. It's probably not going to make sense to turn it all over to the private sector. And at the same time, the public sector is not going to have the resources to do all of this themselves. So I think this is a great lens to look at broadband development through, but I also think it's a it's a really good way to think about the future of smart city infrastructure. Back to Kelsey's point earlier, I'm I'm yeah, I'm I'm, I'm wondering about you know being able to accurately map. I know this is kind of a different subject altogether, but like accurately map, you know, where where the needs are. Um, you know, and have that data reflected because it se it seems like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of communities that have you know what I would say is poor connectivity, but they're still connected somehow. And you know, it seems like the municipality would be the in the best possible position to serve those citizens versus yeah. private industry, which is kind of just relying on it. Like, eh, how much in how much investment can I? you know, get out if I, if I build this network or I put this, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of names of, uh, telecom gear things now. And I can't even do that. This is, <laughs> Pandemic <laughs> I'm not brain. as caffeinated as Kelsey was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I think that's a good point. I think obviously we know that broadband mapping is, is still a major issue and getting accurate data is, and precise data is difficult. I know there are some municipal efforts to try to do some of those things locally. I know Eugene, Oregon has done some work in that area and there are other, other communities as well. But yes, in terms of tracking and measuring and understanding where the need is, it where that is not well done, the municipalities being able to step in and, and do some of that, especially because it helps to outline you know, the business case as well. It's not just categorizing what service exists and where it, there are gaps, but also what infrastructure exists. And, you know, whether that's towers or whether that's buildings or conduit or whatever it is, if you don't know it's there, you can't make use of it. Yeah, that's, that, that's an interesting thing as well, because I, I think that's another big uh, kind of telecom problem, especially with Again, especially with rural carriers, especially with carriers that have gone through multiple mergers and acquisitions in the last decade, um, it's it's muddied the waters in terms of how how much they know about where their own network assets are. I can yeah, imagine it's, for sure you know, dealing with cities. It's it's quite 
um, quite the same. So when is this report going to be uh, available for public consumption? And right. uh, where, where do we get it? Yeah. So again, it's a, a partnership between US Ignite and Altman Valandrian Company. And the report will be released likely later this week, possibly early next week. But uh, you will certainly be able to find it on our website, us-ignite.org. And Kelsey, are we going to ever open up an editorial bureau in Fullerton, California? Is that? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm pushing for one in Hawaii, but I mean, okay. I guess that's close enough. <laughs> no, I think I think I think we're well, let's keep pushing on Hawaii. Okay. I like that. That's that's the really the island isn't important. Just just anywhere Hawaii is fine. <laughs> I, I will second that. I, I will be your uh, <laughs> bureau editor if needed. Oh, yes, of course. No, you had your chance. Oh, okay. Goodness right. gracious. The door has shut. Oh, um, very sad. Very sad. No. I'll send you a postcard, uh, Mari. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, right. Appreciate it. We do appreciate uh, you taking a bit of time and explaining to us how, how, uh, how we can get more people online somehow. <laughs> I know it's not a direct, a uh, not a direct goal. link, but it, 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 it definitely helps. Well, thanks for having me. That is it. That's our show. Thanks so much to Mari Silby for her time and insights today. Thanks to Kelsey for doing what she do. Uh, thanks to our producer, Tian Fu, because if it weren't for him, you wouldn't hear any of this. And of course, thanks to you, dear listener, because if you weren't paying attention, we wouldn't get away with doing all of this at work. Please do tell a friend to subscribe and thank you for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by ServiceNow. Behind every great experience is a great workflow. ServiceNow delivers digital workflows that create great experiences and unlock productivity for communication service providers and their customers.